time. You may be seated. Good morning. It's so wonderful to be with you together this morning to worship, fellowship, and uh, grow together. And uh, Matt mentioned he left the front slide off, the first slide off. I wish I could say I've never done that, but I've done that to Matt, I think, twice. I messed up all the slides putting mine in, so uh, no big deal. We appreciate uh, Matt and his service here. About 100 years before James wrote his letter that we're studying through right now in this series, the uh, G- Roman general Pompey had uh, really taken all the land from the Jewish peasants. He had stripped them of land and uh, caused them to be in even deeper and greater poverty. Sometime after that, Herod charged such exorbitant, exorbitant taxes that it put many of the Jewish small business, small-sized farmers and business owners out of business. So they were suffering in many, many ways. There was a great resistance between the, uh, the, the poor folks, the Jewish people uh, generally, and the elite upper class. There was a huge, huge divide. Well, we have a divide like that in our country and in and anywhere you live. It was nothing uh, today, nothing today like it was back then and even in some places of the world today. In their time, there was just, uh, t- every, at every turn, there were more signs of there's a tremendous divide here. Judges came from the higher class, and the Jewish folks were in the lower class, and so they couldn't get a fair trial at all. They were looked at uh, with suspicion if they... Uh, made an accusation against someone from the higher class uh, that they were just trying to get rich off of them. So there were, there were many, many political and societal problems that they lived in. There, there were various outbreaks that this caused because of these problems, eventually leading to a revolt in Galilee uh, among the people in A.D. 66, And this led to the Judean War of 66 through 70 that eventually led to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And so we look at that and we think, that's terrible. But there's also some familiarity with those things that they dealt with today. Those kind of sound familiar in different ways about uh, our our condition today. In fact, every country, every group of people throughout all of history have had some kind of problem like that. There's always societal and political problems. They've always existed. And there's many groups, many individuals who've come and gone throughout history who've all said, we have the answer to fix the problems in society, to fix the problems in in government, in culture. And if we'll just do this and just vote our way and just do the things that we say we should do and follow our agenda, then it will fix all the problems. Yet every one of those earthly efforts falls short. So in our text today, James is showing us the way we should treat one another 
that doesn't come from the mind of man, but from the heart of God. He's going to show us, here's how you do it. Here's the answer. All these other people and groups say they have the answer. Here's what the answer is. So turn with me to James chapter 2. and Let's look at verses 1 through 4. James writes, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, James shows us that treating people badly, treating them differently, some people good and some people bad, based on what they look like, based on something about them, is always wrong. Now, he's zeroing in on a problem they needed to address between rich and poor. But this would apply to any difference that... Uh, we look at when we uh, look at people today, we look at maybe where they come from, where do they live, what color are they, uh, how much education do they have, what kind of job do they have, what kind of status do they have in society. And we make these distinctions, as James says, or maybe show partiality. And we might say, you get this access, you get to do this because you look this way. You look this way, you don't get that kind of access or uh, rights or privileges. So when James says that, when he says you do, you do this, you're wrong. He says you're wrong, and he's talking about when people come in among your assemblies, when people are coming to worship with you, when they're around you and you do this to them, you're wrong, he says. Your thoughts are evil is what he tells them. And he's saying Christians don't do that. We don't show that kind of partiality to people who come into our worship assemblies. Look at verses 5 through 9. See, James gave them some instructions, but now he explains a little more of what he's trying to say to them. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the ones, those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are, not, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James seems to be echoing, as he's already been doing and does some more throughout his letter, the Sermon on the Mount. James, the brother of Jesus, seems to have been very familiar with the teachings of his brother, the Messiah. Where Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5.3. 
The Bible often shows throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament through New, that God uh, is often lifting up the downtrodden into a higher position and, and this great reversal of roles that while on earth they might be poor in, in the phys this physical world, they're lifted up high and made rich in Christ by the blessings of God, the spiritual blessings and richness of God. And then Jesus said that it's hard for the rich man to enter into the eye of a needle. Why? Because of the riches. And he told a parable about a rich man who couldn't give up his riches. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are, that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because the poor person knows it's nothing I've got, it's nothing I've done. I've simply turned to Christ in faith. I have nothing to depend on or count on. See, we know that James, though, doesn't, he's not, he's not condemning all people of wealth. He's not saying that they can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about a particular issue among them as they're scattered about uh, the Jewish Christians from the persecution that we see early on in Acts. So he's saying something specifically to them uh, that also applies to us. He doesn't mean all wealthy people are excluded from the kingdom of God. Go back to verse 5. He says that, uh, the kingdom of God is for all who love Him. But he is saying, the point he's making, is that Christians shouldn't show partiality. He's not saying there's anything wrong with the rich. In fact, he's not talking about rich Christians here. He's talking about the wealthy in general. And in their society, in their context, the wealthy were going to court. In fact, in the second century, they wrote it into law and made it legal for them to take their land away from them and only increase their wealth. So they knew this great divide in their culture that they lived with every day, vast differences between rich and poor, the haves and the haves not. There was no middle ground. You were on one side or another, and that was it. In fact, the economy didn't even support you, everyone to be able to make a living. It was way too, diff way too difficult uh, back then and very different than what we know today. We've got to see James's point. He's making the point that Christians shouldn't show partiality. That's what he's saying. And the point to focus on is there in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. He calls it the royal law. Have you ever noticed that? The royal law. Why would he call it the royal law? Because they understood what he was talking about. When he said royal law, you know what they heard? They knew that you're talking about the law of the king. That's what you mean, the law of the king. Except James wasn't talking about the law of Emperor Herod or some great uh, political leader or ruler in the country. He wasn't talking about an earthly ruler and, and person of great power and wealth. He said the royal law, I'm talking about your heavenly father, the God, God our king, God almighty. That's who I'm talking about. This is his royal law. This comes from the king, God, our father. This is his law. 
And his law is, his royal law is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, James says you're doing well. In fact, this law goes all the way back to Leviticus 19, where it was written in God's old law, the, the, the Torah, uh, the law of Moses. It was there that they were supposed to love their neighbor as themselves. They've, the Jewish people have always known this law. And then Jesus called it the second greatest commandment in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus continued it and he said, this is, the, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then what does he say? On these two commands, love God with your all, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, hang what? All the laws. In other words, it's all about this. You do these two things. And like James said, you're doing well because you're going to do everything that God would have you to do. Paul said the same thing in Romans 13. Look at verses 8 through 10. Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Sounds like what Jesus said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10 of Romans 13, love does no wrong to its neighbor Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That was James's uh, instruction to them. That's what he told them to do. And he goes back to Leviticus, God's law to them, and he goes back to Jesus, and Paul taught the same thing. And he's telling these Christians now, don't show partiality to people. He's writing these to Jewish Christians who are scattered all over because of persecution for their faith. And he's saying, while you're out there scattered all around in your different places, different cities, different communities, you love your neighbor as yourself. You see, all these groups and individuals that come along that tell you they have the answer, they don't know what they're talking about. You've got to understand, BLM doesn't have the answer. They don't know what they're talking about. Politicians don't have the answer. They don't have a clue. CRT is not the answer. It won't fix anything. Gender theory is not the answer. Wokeism is not the answer. The government ain't the answer. James tells them, here's what the answer is. You want to know what the royal law of the eternal divine king is? This is what fixes things. This is what makes not only a difference now in my life and in my community, in my, in my country, and in my world, but eternally it is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds so simple, but it's not. It sounds so simple. To be true, but it's profound. That's because it's God's word. It's not the word of some activist or, 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 or whoever out there firing off with their, their, their philosophies and their theories and their agenda. This is creator God says this is how to live. And this is what James wants Christians to know. Love your neighbor as yourself. It seems easy, but it's not always, is it? But if, the, if, if this is the answer that Creator God gave us, isn't this, doesn't that mean we ought to try that? How about we just try that? Imagine what things would be like if that's actually how we lived. If just Christians lived that way all around the world, what difference would that make? 
And that's how James is saying Christians are to live. That this is what will make a difference in, in the world that you live in. The church, though, has always had this answer. The, the Lord's church has always had the answer. We've had it all along. And our job is to make sure other people know the answer. Everybody else is running around lobbying and, and, and doing all of this because they think they know something. And all they do is mess stuff up and cause division and hate. And yet the church is sitting here with the answer. And that's what we're supposed to be living out and communicating. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, he tells his followers. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus is telling them, y'all have got the answer. I'm giving it to you, and, and this is how you're supposed to live. The church and its gospel message are what people need to hear. This is how Christians are called to live out in our lives. And we're in a great position now in this time period and now in Bullard, Texas to live this out. If we don't live it out, then no one will know. And they'll follow all these other voices that they hear. Look at verses 10 through 13 of James chapter 2. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. These verses really are kind of more difficult to understand. It's, it's not really, really clear at first uh, what James is communicating. I think they're, they're, they're kind of uh, uh, tough to work through. But keep in mind the context. What is James talking about? He's talking about the royal law, and he's talking about love your neighbor as yourself. Don't show partiality to people. That's what he's talking about. So with, with that context, and then he's about to get into uh, the next passages next week will be uh, uh, the idea of faith and work. So he's, he's, that's where he's going, and he's talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying that showing partiality is just as bad as adultery or murder. And he's wanting these Christians to see that. It's like you can't just pick and choose your sins and say, well, these don't matter because these are little sins as long as I don't do these big ones over here. He's saying that's not how it works. But he's, he's talking about two different laws. because He's talking about the old law, the old covenant, the Torah. That's what the Jewish uh, people knew before Christ. That's what they followed. And, and the way it was made was it was a unified whole like a, like a chain linked together. And if you broke one law, you broke it all. 
There was no mercy. You were condemned. You were right or wrong. You're either, you're either speeding or you're not, right? And, and if you break the law, you break the law. It's that simple. That's the way the law is meant to be. But God, through Scripture, Hebrews, Paul talks about it in many of his letters, uh, was never meant to be the end-all, be-all. It led us to Christ, to the new covenant that is in Christ, a new thing uh, that is in Christ, a new, a new law, a new uh, a, a thing to follow. And that's what James is pointing everybody to. He returns to this idea that he started in chapter 1, verse 25, the law of liberty. So he's, he's, he's contrasting it with the old law that they knew. And he's saying there's this new thing, the law of liberty that's in Christ. And he's saying he's making a positive contrast because the old law could only condemn. But the new law of liberty, that's, that's where uh, we find ourselves in Christ. That's what we're guided by. And he's pointing them to, to, to this new law, this new covenant that is in Jesus who had now fulfilled the law after coming and dying and being resurrected for our sins. And it's in Christ where we have this true freedom. There was no freedom under the old law. There's freedom in Christ. And so like Paul asks, well, is that a license to sin? There's freedom then in Christ. I can do what I want because I've got forgiveness, right? And James would say, like Paul said, not at all. Not for one second. But here's the way to understand this, is that God's gracious acceptance of us does not end our obligation to obey Him. Just because He accepts us and justifies us and considers us righteous when we put on Christ in baptism, when we obey the gospel, is not a license to go do what we want. Instead, it, we are to submit to Him and follow Him because of what He's done for us. And that's where, that's where He means the freedom is, is you're not doing this uh, so that you don't just break a law. You're doing this because you want to do this. There should be a want to, a want to live for Christ, a want to be a, a servant of his. So mercy is an important concept here in what James is talking about. What James is essentially reminding the Christians that if you humiliate the poor over here and then you show favoritism to the rich over here, that was their, their contextual setting, then you're not showing mercy. You're breaking the law if you want to talk about the old law. You're breaking the law and not showing mercy towards the poor and showing partiality towards the rich. That's wrong. And you're breaking the new covenant, if you will. If you want to keep on looking at the law, you're breaking the law of liberty because you're not showing mercy in the way that you're supposed to show mercy. You're not following the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself. And James says, you're going to have trouble on the day of judgment. If you can't show mercy here, you won't be shown mercy there. It makes you wonder if James was thinking about Jesus' beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or his parable about the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, where he talks about a servant that was owed a little bit, a great amount that he could never repay to the king. And the king forgave him because he begged him. And then he walked right out the door and saw somebody who owed him a little bit. And he couldn't show mercy to him. The king heard about it and said, then you won't get any mercy from me either. 
It makes you wonder if James was thinking of his brother's teachings when he wrote this to these Christians to help to urge them, live like the way Jesus taught us to live, to love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't it wonderful that God didn't look down on us and show partiality? Aren't you glad God isn't partial? Aren't you glad God didn't look down and say, I'll save you, but not you? What if God had done that? Some believe that God does that today. That's not what the Bible teaches. God shows no partiality. Paul said he's no respecter of persons. He doesn't look over here and say, I'm going to save you, but not you. He's not looking for a way to kick you out of heaven, to kick you out of your salvation, to not let you in. He sent his son to die for you, to get you in. And he says, please just hear my message of salvation. Believe it and turn to me and and become a, a Christian. Put on Christ in baptism so that in the watery grave of baptism, in the, in the waters of baptism, your sins can be washed away and you'll be united with Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you'll be a child of God and be given a home in heaven should you live faithful to me. That's what God wants for us. He wants all people to be saved. And maybe you've fallen away from him. Maybe you hadn't been strong in your faith and and you need prayers to get back strong in your faith. You need prayers to start living by the royal law. I think we all need prayers for that, don't we? Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism or you want somebody to study with you because it's something you're taking real seriously right now. We want you to know whatever your need is, this church is here for you. If we can help you this morning, come forward as we stand and sing.